welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we have a fantastic guest, Mandy McAllister for you. And Mandy is a multifamily real estate investor, mindset ninja, eternal learner, coach, connector, and mom. Her background is in medical device sales, where she's a perennial top performer. And in real estate, she has made it her mission to secure financial freedom for her family and others through syndications and coaching individuals to realize their personal potential. And her portfolio is currently comprised of 353 doors, primarily B-class workforce housing. So Mandy, welcome to the show. And how are you doing today? Oh, hi. Just uh, living the dream, Eileen. (laughs) Couldn't be more excited to be with you. Thank you so much. So Mandy, let's get started by, you know, if you can share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate. Sure. I um, I first heard of the idea of real estate investment when I was um, in college, in undergrad. I was standing on the, the porch of a house for a party that was going on. And my friend was explaining that her dad bought the house and that she was renting out the rooms to our shared friend. And I thought, and you get to keep that money. That's the best idea I've heard in my whole life, right? So the seeds of must-be real estate investor were planted at 19 years old. And then a lot of analysis paralysis later at 35, I still hadn't bought anything for express purpose of investment. Bought that first fourplex and then was kind of bitten by the bug. So went from 35 to 40 and acquired enough cash flowing real estate to be able to leave my W-2 job as a single mama, because I was able to actually put action to the stuff that I'd learned. So I'm here to tell you that it goes a lot faster if you're actually doing it. What changed between 19 and 35 that you were able to buy your first property? I think a lot of, well, I mean, my kiddo was born like (laughs) a month from like a month after I bought the property, right? So I think a part of it was a realization of, oh my gosh, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is for real. I get one shot at this big, crazy life. And, you know, at some point, all the voices in your head, like this mindset ninja thing that I call myself, right? Like this this idea of you're going to get everybody's opinion and the trying to be a perfect little girl. Because I think so many high achieving women start off as perfect little girls who get straight A's and just raise their hand and wait until it's time. There's never a freaking right time. You know, there's never a perfect deal. Just getting in and taking calculated risks. And that's, that's kind of what parenting is too. Just having a goal to do the best you can, because that's all there is you can do. It kind of congealed all in one place for me. So what were the steps? What did you do those first couple of years before you bought your first property to be able to purchase the first one? Because it takes money to buy some real estate or unless you partner with other people or did some other type of creative type of financing. But like, how did you end up buying your first property and was it on your own? So my very first... Originally, the idea of must be real estate investor, when I was 28, I lived in Chicago. So, right, like the idea of I wanted to burr before that was a thing, uh, buy and then rent out and then go buy another place for me to live. That didn't work because the first place I bought for myself to live in was in 2008. And we were, you know, kind of down the rabbit hole 
then. So I wasn't able to create strategy one. So then by the time 2008 to 2015, I ended up saving up enough money. I went the super conservative, long path approach, which now looking back hindsight, I understand that's not incredibly necessary, but it made me feel safe at the beginning. And so much of investment is my calculated risk, something that I at my core feel good about, right? I put 25% down on the fourplex, which kind of made, give me a lot of wiggle room. So what were some of the things when you first looked at your first property as an investment as a fourplex, what were some of the metrics that you looked for before you jumped in and, and got that first property? I'm a pretty pragmatic problem solver. And one thing that, you know, I beginning with the end in mind, right? Like just how can I use data? How can I use information that's available to get myself into the best possible position? That's how I approach everything in life. Like I, I was a division one athlete, not because I'm ex- exquisite at volleyball, but because I figured out how to work the game. Right. And like, I'm really good at figuring out like free flights or like that. I'm good at those games and finding things on sale. Right. So I put those same kind of skill sets to work for finding a property. Well, I realized like kids will always go to college. Right. I've realized also that there's three, three schools within driving distance, short driving distance from where I live. So then I looked at the populations of those schools and happened to notice that one of the schools had torn down to uh, two different dorms. And I said, okay, that's the market. That's where I'm going. And then I thought, oh, if I'm a kid and I go to that school, how do I figure out, put myself in the shoes of my avatar, my renter, right? So I realized, oh, how does a kid figure out where they want to go rent an apartment? Well, I asked a kid. That's all I did. I asked somebody who just graduated school there, when you want an apartment, where do you go to? And I found out there were two groups that branded themselves to students. And I kind of backed into it found the property manager who then helped me target the right place to buy the assets to get done what I wanted to get done. So how can you ask, how can you zoom out to think from kind of like a 30,000 foot view to make a decision that's going to put you in the very best possible spot and use experts where you need experts is kind of how I backed into it. A lot of happy accidents, but it's kind of what I talk about with the, the folks I get a chance to work with right now. So after you got that first fourplex and you put you know, it, it sounded like you focused on student housing at that time then. Were there any difficulties with finding other students to rent the housing? And did you, you know, what kind of challenges did you have to overcome? So a couple of things on that. I, there were the two, like I mentioned, property managers that brand themselves to kids. I interviewed them both. And I just asked them questions just like the one you just asked me. Like, how do you figure it out? And I learned of these engines that they already had going for attracting students. So all I needed to do is then plug my my building into their machine and it was no problem to fill up these one bedroom apartments. I chose one bedroom apartments rather than other larger apartments because I thought, think of the avatar of that kid, right? Like if you're gonna live in a four bedroom apartment when you're a junior in, in college, Probably it's because you want to throw parties with the other three, you know, uh, jerks that you're living with, right? But if you're going to live in a one-bedroom apartment and you're in college, you might be a grad student, right? You might be, you know, a foreign exchange student who doesn't know anybody and who is very serious about their studies and way less likely to wreck the unit than someone who's ready to throw a kegger. Honestly, like so much of it was I, I leaned on the property manager, but learned a lot in the process. So you said from 35 to 40, that's when you built up your portfolio, your real estate portfolio and had achieved your financial freedom. 
what did you do during that time period? And how did you determine? Well, let's start off with how did you even determine what your financial freedom looked like? And how did you work back into it? Oh, that is the best possible question. Because I kind of I saw the scale that came from acquiring a, a fourplex. And that like, I was bit by the multifamily bug in that case, right? Because that scale, you know, was just one transaction. And I got cash flow times four. What if I did that times 40, right? So I pursued people who were learning in that same vein. And multifamily is really, it makes a lot of sense to acquire those properties in a syndication. So a lot of the guys that I was, and it's mostly men who are playing in commercial. I know we've talked about this, but like, so it was all of the bros that I was kind of coming up with five years ago. I would ask them, how do you know? What, what do you need to see? for you to be able to leave your day job. And one guy who is a brilliant man, and he has subsequently left his day job, he said, you know, oh, all I got to do is I'm going to have that acquisition fee and then that disposition fee. And then all I got to do is four deals a year. And then I can afford to leave my big deal corporate job. And I thought, oh my God, what if you don't find four deals that are worth doing? You're going to have to go do deals so that you can feed your kids and put them through college. Oh my God, I don't want that for my life, right? So then I realized that I could acquire properties that were for the long haul rather than kind of the syndication formula because largely syndications are a three or a five or a seven year hold, right? Uh, rather than have to continually recycle and look for those fees, I could buy stuff and have a floor of cash flow, a predictable floor of income coming in that I could then rely on and then go build whatever business I want to on top of it. So for me, the begin with the end in mind is figuring out the math problem of what do you need to see in order to leave your day job. And I couldn't find like a little calculator or anything that I, I wanted to you know, help me figure that out. So I made one, right? <laughs> so I, I have it. It's a free thing that thousands and thousands of people have downloaded. It's on my website. I, I give it away for free. But it's also um, in the kind of curriculum of working with people. It's the first thing that I make them do. And we download that because 90% of the time that people do it, they realize, oh my God, I don't need as much as I thought I needed, right? Like I thought I needed $15,000. I needed $7,700.17, right? So you, you got to put the math to it. I think also once you hit that financial freedom number, so you have your number in mind, you hit that target, you have still that hesitation to make that leap, even though you've made it, but at least you have the choice for it. How did you decide and how did you choose to go full-time into real estate after you hit your financial freedom number? It's kind of funny because I, I had hit it and I had a chance to be a speaker on a panel of a boot camp. There were like a thousand people listening to my panel talk. And one of them I knew was this colleague who like it was in medical device sales. He was kind of a, a different division, but we were colleagues listening. And I'm like, hey, man, don't sell me out. But I just hit my freedom number. It's my intention to leave my day job in the next six months, let's say. And then some like strange uh, set of events happen. And that guy who heard me say that is now my manager in my day job that I could have kicked the can down. I could have done a really good job in that role with a limited amount of bandwidth and then still grown my portfolio. I could have done both concurrently for a significant amount of time. But this guy who's now my boss heard me say that I intended to leave my day job. So he's like, so is that for real or not? Because I'm going to have to start recruiting if it's for real. And I And it went from this thing that I could kick the can down the road to, oh my God, the baby's coming. I've got to do something about this, right? So then it just 
frankly, had that not happened, I would probably still be kicking the can down the road. But there's so much more authenticity. There's so much more growth and like bigger, more exciting deals that I'm getting to get involved in because I am making a bet on myself. And I want to say one last thing on that. The mindset hack that I put into place to kind of help me get comfortable with it was medical device sales. Like I am comfortable to say that I am fantastic at that job. I've won a bunch of awards. I am certain that I could go find a job tomorrow if I needed to. Is it going to be exactly the job I want? Probably not, right? But I'm going to find something that makes sense. So I'm just going to consider this self-employment, in quotes, an experiment for 12 months, right? And if it's not going where I want it to go in 12 months, then I just go find another day job, right? And it took all of the pressure off. No, that totally makes sense. Because like you said, what's the worst that can happen? You always can go back to it, but just trying and having that courage and that leap of faith to be able to see what could happen. And it's not for everybody. You know, everybody has their own pathway and everything like that, but you just got to see what's right for you in your situation. I want to put one more kind of mindset hack on that too. I was talking to my friend, uh, Susie Sevier. She's got a podcast. You got to yes. be her. No, I've had Susie on as well. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, God, I love her. Anyway, so she was talking about they live abroad and Michael's going to get restationed. And she's like, I just, I love being here, but I would meet so many more investors. If I lived in America, I don't know where I want to live or, you know, and I'm like, what would Susie 10 years from now wish she had done? Where would Susie 10 years from now wish she lived for this two or three year time frame? And she's like, yeah, that's it. She wants to be in Europe. And it was, it takes the pressure off. It's like, you know, hindsight is 2020. It's do hindsight foresight. Think about yourself 10 years from now, and then give from that standpoint, give yourself a diet boy advice, and it's probably going to be really clear. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So in that time between 35 to 40, how did you build up your portfolio and what are some of the different strategies you utilize in order to be able to reach your financial number? Yeah, I kind of backed into it. I didn't know what I liked, right? And I think when somebody is in a situation that they look like they got it figured out, like I don't have it figured out right? Like I don't want it to come off like I have it figured out, but I'm absolutely intellectually curious and trying out new things as I go along. So I went down that I knew I loved this idea of scale from the beginning and went into multifamily. And the first thing you learn if you ever try to hire a coach in multifamily likely is syndication. And there's absolutely a place for that. But for me, it didn't coalesce. It wasn't the direction that I wanted to go with my investments. So I I found a friend who had kind of very similar feelings and used that same, like, let's back into it with the numbers to find some 50-ish unit properties in Indianapolis that would bring us pretty heavy cash flow that we could put on a non-recourse loan and ride it out for the long term. So the bulk of my focus was on these kind of middle-sized 50-ish unit properties 
in markets that I knew were growing and had strong demand. And then just kind of use that to refi, pull out cash and recycle it back into other deals. What got me there was finally figuring out the number I needed to feel good about my day job and realize like, oh my gosh, I'm like $800 off my number from where I'm going to feel good. And I bought a damn single family home. Like I'm not scared to go back. Like it's not a big step back because I have the system set up. I have everything I need to make something that looks like quote unquote going backwards. It's not going backwards if it gets me to my number that I need to see to feel good about going to live my dream. So when you're looking at acquiring different properties, what are some of the other metrics that you look for in terms of cash flow and the financial metrics of it so that you could make sure that you hit your numbers as you take over the property and start to operate and generate that cash flow? So I don't like a heavy lift. I want uh, an agency loan from the beginning. So, and this was, you know, a couple of years ago when we didn't know what was going to happen in interest rates. We know where interest rates have gone, right? We knew kind of that they couldn't go, you know, they weren't going to go past zero. So the locking in something for the long term would absolutely help us in whatever cash flow situation we were in. So I love a B-class asset because in the BC kind of metric, right, we all know that you get catch people going down on the ladder and going up on the ladder if you're a B or a C. But for me, I saw the printing of money that was happening as completely unprecedented. And, you know, my master's degree is in economics, so I can't really take that part of my brain out. So kind of seeing that since 20, since COVID, basically, we have increased the M1, our money supply, 8X, right? So what happens when you introduce more dollars? If you and I are sitting at a table, there's one Diet Coke, $1. Now, poof, there's $8. Are you willing to pay more of those dollars for that hard asset of that Diet Coke? Absolutely, right? So if I can lock in something for the long term and let kind of inflation destruct away that debt. And so I'm paying it back with cheaper and cheaper dollars. That is an excellent metric. So that plus, so B-class asset plus, I want to see cash on cash at 10% by year two. Whatever our play is, if I just have a B-class asset, cash on cash by 10% by year two, that is the kind of distilled version of what it is that I'm looking for. In today's market where it's volatile and things are moving up and down and you know we're seeing a lot of different movements in real estate, are you still looking for those? Are those investment strategies still the same ones that you're looking at going forward? And are you still continuing to be optimistic about the market and continuing to build up your real estate side? Excellent question. And I think that it makes sense that as market conditions change, the kind of, you know, massage what it is that you're looking for. But that being said, I have my standards as a human. I have my standards as an investor, right? So if I'm talking myself into, oh yeah, no, 10% is not possible by year two anymore. I will go with 5%. No, I know what I deserve. I know what my time is worth. I am only going to do a damn home run, right? Like I'm not interested in like a bunch of singles that are so razor thin that they could turn on me. That is how you go broke. I only look for the home runs. That being said, these long-term hold multifamily things like I found a few years ago don't really exist right now. I am not finding them. I'm still kissing all the frogs, but they're not coming right now. I still maintain the best possible wealth growth is a long-term bucket of these larger assets that are owned on agency debt. 
However, that is my safety deposit box, but I got to fill up that safety deposit box somehow. And if I can't fill up the safety deposit box, I got to look for an engine for cash flow. And I have a lot of friends who have been absolutely killing it in terms of returns on short-term rentals, right? So if I, you know, who's to say that I can't have two strategies, one hand washing the other, right? So I know that I like scale, that I was bit by that bug very early on, and plus short-term rentals equals, I just closed on a motel in Northern Wisconsin, which we've completely repositioned. And man, the projections from that those that cash flow standpoint are really, really attractive. So short-term rentals at scale with these motels is very attractive to me right now. And you can find those deals. So as you built up your portfolio, you've hit your financial freedom number. How has that impacted your life as you've been investing in real estate? I've taken a lot more what I would feel like were risks 10 years ago, like investing other people's money, the whole syndication thing. Like I trust myself, but I'm way more willing to like make a bet when it's just Mandy risking for Mandy than I am if it's Mandy risking for your grandma. You know what I mean? So the taking the gamble of knowing that, yes, absolutely, that is something worth running after is that I have felt very empowered to do that since hitting my number. And honestly, like having all uh, extra time, like I'm the mom who I'm a single mama to a six-year-old who's the funniest little boy you've ever met. And I'm the mom who goes on the field trips. I was mystery reader. Like I get to put my priorities for how I live my life in the design of how I want to live because the cash flow comes to me in the way that I need it to. So if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? That nothing is ever perfect. That the calculate it's it's all just a thinking and bets. It's all just a calculation of okay, I'm willing to risk this penny to make that dollar, right? Like that nothing will ever be. You raised your hand. You're a perfect little girl. You get straight A's. Like you know that does not align with entrepreneurship in any way. I wish Mandy right now could tell Mandy about twenty years that. <laughs> And then if there's one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing, what would that be? Action. I I mean, look, 19 to 35, ain't nothing happened in the life of Mandy in terms of investment or pursuing freedom. 35 to 40, nothing. I'm nothing special, Eileen, nothing special at all. It's just the action. Yes, you have to know what it is that you're doing, that the, the specialized information matters. But what matters way more than that is where your head is at. Tony Robbins says 80% of everything is your mindset. Only 20% is the mechanic. And I agree. Awesome. Well, Mandy, I, I love that. Mindset is a really big factor in this game. If you're especially you're looking for it in the long haul, um, mindset, once you switch that on, it, it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Mandy, for our listeners out there who want to find out more about what you're doing, your story, where's the best place that they can go? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, my catch-all website is mandymcallister.com. M-A-N-D-Y-M-C-A-L-L-I-S-T-E-R.com. Awesome. Well, Mandy, thank you so much for coming on the show today and bringing so much energy and so much so, so much genuine feelings to this episode as well and so much insight. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me, Eileen. I so appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. 
You can also connect with us on Facebook. How did they do it? Real estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.